Join us for PR Safari, a podcast by Center for Public Relations. PR Safari, your ultimate guide to navigate the complex PR landscape in Africa. Find us at www.cpr.africa. Hello, my name is Chris Wangalwa and today's episode is a special one. We feature a recording hosted in August 2022 by Alex Owiti, founder Alexander PR. In this illuminating episode, Alex brought together two PR experts, Joel Chacha, general manager at Telem, and Cosmos Butunyi, client director at Hudson Sandler. They discussed crisis communication management with a focus on last year's online crisis that hit KFC in Kenya. We hope you'll find this conversation both informative and engaging. Re-editing has been done by CPR, Center for Public Relations. We saw what the country MD for KFC did. He released a statement which did not augur well with Kenyans, especially when he said, you know, the, the quality of potatoes that are coming from this country are not of quality. The nature of crisis is it has three characteristics. One is it's sudden. It will happen without warning. And number mm-hmm. two, it's unexpected. Out of the blue, something just spirals and gets out of control. And number three is the risk that it can have on the business, whether it's reputation, customer, regulatory action, whatever it is that it can lead to. So that means it is very important that you know that this thing can happen and to prepare for it. Cha-cha. It arises from an issue that is not sorted and it becomes a crisis. And I've always told clients that, you know, once you onboard any clients at uh, the agency, we always have a diagnosis session where we diagnose vulnerabilities. We map out all potential crises for the future. I have this cliche saying, the best time to fix a leaky roof is on a sunny day. Any organization should have a crisis communication plan in place. This is how I engage organizations to see where the, the comms department, if it reports directly to the CEO, and if you see there's a bit of a breakdown, then I think the I usually blame the people that are working there. They haven't shown their worth. They haven't shown their need. And that's why, uh, you know, even during the COVID pandemic, I was starting to see some organization, um, you know, getting rid of the comms department. And this is the department that should go last. This is like you're the pilot of any, of any airplane. For the CEO to say such a thing with lack of uh, proper counsel from the comms person, I think that was a huge failure there. But with multinationals like KSC, one of the things I've realized is some of these decisions are made globally, and then people here are afraid to push back. And for for an FMCG company like uh, KFC, I don't know how they could have made such a blunder without that issue being escalated internally. In other areas, there's something called localization where companies like KFC, they would have found a better way to maneuver this crisis. A crisis is also an opportunity for you also to talk. The way they would have weaved this narrative and to avoid any, you know, backlash from netizens in Kenya, they would have talked about localization and they've seen the demand, talk about how maybe a lot of their customers for the past few years have been asking for Ugali as a trend as they try and address or find local farmers who they could source potatoes from because yeah. you know, <laughs> uh, as a country we've been trying to you know buy kenya build kenya or push that narrative from farm to fork that would have worked very well for them but i think from out here i could say it was a very ad hoc or knee-jerk reaction by yeah. by kfc part of the reason why things went the way they went is they probably didn't have a proper plan in place because, you know, the nature of crisis, it happens so much is happening at the same time. You have pressure from social media, you have regulators calling you, you have politicians calling you, you have your global guys calling you. So some of these messages are not well thought out. People don't think about these things properly, which goes back to the initial points we were making about why you need to have a plan. If you have a plan, you probably would even have uh, 
messaging already done. You have draft statements. The only thing you do is to change the dates and change the context. But you have thought about this issue without pressure. At that time, when things escalate, you already have your lines ready. When you prepare for a crisis with your PR people mm. and you put together your crisis comms manual, you are very clear that when a crisis happens, these are the people that we need to work with. This is how we'll deal. This is how we escalate. This is our spokesperson. These are the kind of scenarios we think could happen. And this is how we communicate. So you sort of have a plan because when you yeah. fail to plan, you're literally planning to fail. At some point, KFC had faced this issue before it snowballed into a crisis. Some time back, this conversation had already started about KFC cannot buy uh, our potatoes. And, and then yeah. they left it to sleep and they did not plan around it. And KFC is a brand that is over 100 years. It's not the first time that they are facing an issue with uh, potato sh shortage in this country. I'm informed that even mm. in Asia, where there are big numbers than in Africa, where they're operating, they've actually faced that problem. But they just left it to sleep. And then now when yeah. it came back, it even came back worse. Cha-cha. Yeah, for companies like KFC, I think this is something maybe they've done in another market and they didn't get as much backlash online. KOT is a different monster. <laughs> <laughs> and these markets across Africa, they're not homogeneous. This maybe could have worked in Zambia, where also internet penetration is not as pervasive. <laughs> but as Cosmos was saying, if these guys had planned, then they would have had already templates to respond to that to that crisis. There's a formula always use that's called the risk impact probability analytic lens they would have looked at it and see whether if they made this announcement what's the probability of this announcement having a high impact a negatively impact on the brand and what's the probability of it also gaining negative traction so if everything was high probability of it having a negative impact on the brand and high negative impact then they would have changed their tact they should have had um, a town hall with farmers here, you know, talk about quality, they try and see, I'll be the devil advocate here. And we had um, this other company as a client and where a lot of people are getting worms and they're claiming that the worms are in the chicken. You know, when when we, when you delve in deeper to find out the Let's truth was uh, that actually the worms were on the potatoes because then there was no proper checks on the kind of quality of potatoes they were getting. In a way, I can tell, I can see why these guys are not sourcing, but I'm sure there are farmers who are following certain procedures where they can provide the quality of potatoes that KFC needs. I, I, I totally agree. And the bigger problem with this is not learning from uh, issues because history gives you a picture of the future. So what happened in the future, in the past, can happen again, maybe with varying magnitude. So when something happens, the bigger thing to learn is to say, this is a possible future issue or crisis. So how do we prepare to deal with it? Because if you're working for any of these brands, you're working for KFC, you're working for the farm that Chacha just mentioned for chicken, you know that the issue of local sourcing will always come up. And how do you deal with it? Which comes back to the issue of planning for crisis. I wanted you to touch a bit on uh, stakeholder management in crisis management. It's a big part of it because, you know, when crisis happens, the medium would be online. It would be on Twitter and the other social media channels. But it doesn't just affect those people who are talking about it online your government people would be worried about what's happening because they follow those things. Your parent company, your global guys, even staff will be wondering how are these guys talking to, how are they looking at this market? Because the messages you put out during crisis also 
will give an indication to the internal. So the biggest part of crisis is actually stakeholder management. You need to make sure that you have uh, messages that align to the needs to different stakeholders. So if it's tough, the fact that you're not sourcing locally, what does it mean about how much you think about this market? Are you committed yeah. to this market? Or does it mean that you don't want to invest in, in supply chains because you don't think it's a it's long-term market? Or for regulator, for instance, how are you contributing towards creating jobs and ecosystems around your business? Even media, you, you know the way media can easily brand you in a given way, especially mm-hmm. when those nationalistic uh, tendencies kick in. Mm-hmm. So it begins saying this one is foreign to, it, it, it's not good to us. So it's important that you map and work out how you're going to deal with these guys when crisis happens. Just to chime in on what Kosa said, you know, once you've mapped out all your stakeholders, you're in a position to also map them with, I think, with the four quadrants, where whether the power, the high power, low power, low interest, high interest. Mm-hmm. So, you, you know, you need to manage the people who have high power and high interest in your business. Then during stakeholder mapping also, during a crisis, you'll always rely on third party. So once, if you've mapped out your audiences, then you can have third parties who can speak positively about your brand during a uh, crisis. So once you map out your allies, your ambassadors and, and adversaries, then you're more likely to handle it better. If the other third party is speaking on your behalf, then it makes your work easier going through the crisis. Chacha, I know crisis has now moved online. How do you prepare yourself for an online crisis, especially before it happens and after it happens? There's a thing we have, uh, it's called the... Um, social media overview it helps guide you because sometimes when i especially start seeing um, a conversation gaining traction on digital you need to monitor who are the propagators i know people like chef are like uh, riding on crisis that that's how they build their clout on on digital but i think some, some of the few things that you need to consider uh, when a crisis is happening on digital, you need to look at the reach. You know, how many people are likely to see or hear the message? You need to look at the authority or how much influence does the messenger have over the intended audiences and the aggression. How hostile is the propagator? And the engagement, how much discussion is the topic in, in generating? Yeah. Then the audiences, what, yeah, what are the audiences and is the message, what is the message targeting them? And then lastly, you look at mobilization. Does the message motivate people to take action? You know, like boycott um, KFC, let's stop eating from from these guys. So now after that, you look at the risk level. How I've always broken it down is um, when it's low is when the post has less than 10 to 30 posts per hour. And then it's low influence. You look at the users with, with their network size, less than 200 to 1,500 members. Then moderate, you look at the medium influence, the users, with a, the user has a network of at least 1,500 to three to 3,000. And now the medium size, these guys have uh, over 50,000 unique visitors monthly. So then <laughs> these are blogs now that are picking up your story. It's, it has gone from Twitter and now yeah. blogs are picking it up. Then high, where now you need to respond because now you've realized that uh, <laughs> your monitoring is not helping you out. I can give an example of how Procter & Gamble uh, created a monster. So mm. Procter & Gamble in this region, they, didn't, they never had, uh, the Always brand never had a Twitter handle. So when Sheffa was tweeting, Global, Always Global posted back and responded to her comment. Now that gave us so much clout because this is Always Global. So many countries started reviewing it. So sometimes you need to monitor depending on who, and you need to decide on who is going to respond to a tweet. 
So now when it hides, when it has gone high influence with a user with greater than 3,000 members, network mm. and followings and fans, and it has been retweeted more than 60 times within an hour, that is obviously it's going to uh, become a crisis for you. So at that time, if you haven't, uh, if you hadn't prepared, and this is something I've always told people, even if you get the best crisis comms guy, during that crisis, you're not thinking straight. There's no way you're going to write a holding schedule that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, you're panicking. <laughs> and there are many co-drivers. People will tell you, you guys didn't think of this, you know. And uh, even you send out a holding statement with the wrong date because yeah. you had templates for 18 and you're trying to tweak. So that's why it's always good to prepare early. Cosmos, how does a brand salvage itself from such a crisis, such an injury to the brand? The way a brand would recover from a crisis and this is actually part of the reason why you need to plan, because once you have a plan, you have a plan for dealing with the fire while it's there mm. and and trying to look for, to salvage things from the rubble. When all is said and done, you've been bashed, people have said all things about the brand. You be, you need to begin reassuring your stakeholders. Still goes back to the issue of stakeholder engagement. You need to have a check because it depends on how do the regulators think about you? How do your customers think about you? And this one you can get from, you can do deep sticks or you, you can even do a brand, brand audit if, yes. if, if, if there's budgets. Mm -hmm. Just to figure out where does the brand sit in the minds of your stakeholders at this point in time after going through the crisis. Mm -hmm. And once you've identified, say you identify that the regulator doesn't think of you very high, as highly as they used to, or maybe media has become wholesale to you, or social media, there are all these memes that keep coming up about you based on the grid that Chacha mentioned, the one about uh, power and influence. So yes. you say, all these stakeholders think about, like this about me, mm -hmm. but I will prioritize in the order of their influence yes. as well as their interest in the organization. So focus your communication efforts in engaging these stakeholders mm -hmm. and making sure you align them and begin to go forward. Apart from engaging stakeholders, planning and engaging, what do you learn from this? For instance, if... Uh, Part of the reason why you you floundered is because you didn't have a plan. You need to put up a plan. Is it because your spokesperson didn't articulate your messaging well? You need to organize a crisis comms training for them. Picking lessons from that is a big part of recovery. Chacha, recovery. I think one of the best approaches uh, that we use some funny thing we call the ARC methodology, where at first you assess and explore, and now this is uh, pre the crisis, hold a crisis strategy session, then you develop. A communication playbook mm. and that now is, a, is the second phase where it's a resolve and development during that session is where also you look at third-party education where you need to look at your ambassadors and your allies who in case of a crisis these are big authorities in the same industry who can speak authoritatively and people will respect their feedback about you then obviously if uh, people are not trained you uh, hold a communication training then now controlling and implementing you conduct uh, simulations and crisis drills you know a lot of people don't take them seriously until a crisis hits you and now when a crisis hits you need to look at whether people followed is there a media protocol document you have internally yeah. where in case of a crisis an email is shared internally because as journalists sometimes don't reach out to the key spokesman because you know we've trained these people they have key messages they know the script to stick to so people always reach out to, you know, junior staff. That's why you need to have a media protocol document so that any message that's being shared with the media is very, is very uniform to, you know, anyone else. You know, you're giving guidelines to everyone in case a journalist reaches out to you, this is what you say. 
but you refer them to the comms team. Then now moving beyond the crisis, you need to take key learnings as Cost was saying. What didn't work, what worked well, and uh, what do we need to tweak? That's why I think quarterly you need to review your crisis communication manual to see whether things have changed. You know, back in the day, a lot of the crisis, people would, would be relying on traditional media. You'd be scared of having a story published on a tier one uh, newspaper. But nowadays, you know, that story could be trending immediately on Twitter. If you had clients who are a bit, a bit old school, like back in when we were at Standard, we were not allowed to be on any of any social media platform mm. and maybe a story has broken on facebook and you guys are waiting to get an invite <laughs> for <a> press <laughs> briefing <laughs> so it's trending already <laughs> so i think our industry has really morphed so things yeah. keep changing so i think uh, the crisis communication manual needs to be looked at at least quarterly uh, to see whether mm. there are things that need to be changed